Hello, Swords and Sound. I wanted to do an episode on my own, and I also wanted to force myself to go on a little walk because I realized that, like, even though it's a little ivy, I haven't left the house yet, so my cat is sitting very cutely. Um, I'm watching a show called Summer Strike, and I had only seen that it was like, oh, romance between two introverts and I was just like okay why not and then there's like there's some parts that kind of bore me specifically this like one character um who's oh but if I didn't finish my thought earlier before I get into it is that I wanted to force yeah wanted to force myself to go on a walk and I wanted to talk on my own because I realized that even though it's just been like two episodes on their own and the only I mean technically the only three that I've recorded novelly I guess um or wait the only one (laughs) after Dolls Before Justice I recorded one it was kind of like a mishmash of things not really a put together thought through whatever not that this is this is me using this podcast that I made it for to take care of myself and be in touch with things and even though I do feel like I have been bridging like certain gaps with my friends and even if it's just like one-on-one for a bit of time doing it somewhat holistically makes me feel a lot better and I'm supposed to do another one tomorrow um but I do I was kind of I was like thinking about the effort to do a podcast today I was like oh I want to but I, I don't know if I will. I don't know if I'll get around. And I took a big, a big nap. So, you know, that was great. Because I, I took the sheets off my bed to, like, put them in the wash. And when they came out of the dryer, I happened to be, like, laying on the floor. And my mom just, like, threw them on me, like, the warm sheets. And it was so nice that what, what was I going to do other than just sleep right where I was for, like, two and a half hours? Um, then I woke up on a little walk because I watched my show, but I didn't do my full daily walk. Whoa! <laughs> You're swooping in low. Uh, the geese couldn't hear them. So, just thought that I would finish up my daily walk and talk to you about the show. Because it's also, like, it is a lot. And I like dramas because I... I like that they're, well, some of them are just, like, fun and goofy, like, reading a little romance novel, and there's nothing wrong with that. There ain't nothing wrong with that. I don't really do it often, but some of my friends do, and I have nothing but support, because this is my version. Uh, Although this show did not end up being that, and I'm dealing with, like, much heavier topics. It's a little town, just dealing with, like, real people and their problems. But what's specifically going on is there's this, like, girl in high school very difficult life. She lives with her grandma and her dad and her brother. Her mom left when she was a lot younger because her dad is like a very severe alcoholic and will just like beat her up, stuff like that. Also, trigger warning. <laughs> I feel like most of my episodes probably need a trigger warning because I, side note, I speak very like frankly about somewhat taboo things or things that people feel like are quite heavy and obviously I do it in like safe space make sure people are comfortable with it if I'm speaking like one-on-one with a friend but in general it's like especially if it's about something like that's happened to me then I don't 
I very much believe in talking about hard things because how else are you going to kind of get through it? Like, if you don't, this is just pretty matter of fact, but if you don't have the language to process what's happened to you in life, then it's just always going to kind of nag at you. And it's just helpful to be able to settle those feelings. And it's not to say that all feelings need to be settled. It's, it's not to detract from how severely something is felt. It's just so that you can cope, so that things don't have to always weigh on you, and so that you can feel connected or know that like, you're not alone and all of that stuff. So I just have a tendency to speak very frankly, and I, I honestly just forget rather frequently that that's not the case with everyone. I think also because my mom, luckily, she is someone that we, we both talk about taboo things. Um, also, I might talk a bit about, like, finances, like, personal finances or my experience with it later in this episode, just so you know, it's going to be, like, rather drastic shift in a lot of ways. Um, basically, this girl, uh, Kim Bum, she, her dad, like, beat her up really badly and she had to get, like, emergency surgery. She's going to the hospital, everything like that in her, like... She has one friend in the town, her family. There's this boy who has a very sweet crush on her, and they're very cute together in general. Um, and they're all just trying to do what they can, because it's not like a well-off town. It's like a little seaside thing. And so no one's like particularly wealthy. And the, the, kind of the premise of the show is the main girl who's like friends with Bum. Uh, even though she's 28, she's just finding her way in the world, the name, like, Summer Strike, is she's on strike. Off, she's, uh, she's striking from life for a year because her boyfriend dumped her. She quit her job after her boss was, like, harassing her for four years, and her mom died. So, you know, like, typical <laughs> extremes of a drama. Um, going back to the point I was initially trying to make is um, I like dramas because they are for the most part like overly emotional and not very rational I think it gives people an excuse to just feel a lot of things that they maybe wouldn't and especially for characters for people they don't know to feel like connected and to care so deeply about them and I think it's interesting to me because in a case like this where it's like pretty sensitive it's like alcohol addiction and like a familial abuse and stuff like that it can be that they show a very diverse array of reactions because the grandma just wants to like keep everyone together she's so unapologetically just about trying to protect everyone at any cost so basically after mom wakes up from surgery they ask her if it was self-inflicted or if someone did this to her but if she had said that her dad did he would go to the hospital and the grandma was like and he'll never get better, and he had just checked himself into rehab after that. But Bum was like, like, what? <laughs> Why do I owe him any, like, I don't care that he's my father. Like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? This man almost killed me. And it's just, like, and there's, it's just like that emotional spectrum I, around a single incident, and I get that they all have different roles in this but to me it can be like a really good means of I, ha I haven't gotten far enough to see how this kind of resolves itself but I think it could be a good means of resolving distance 
whether that means, because Bum ultimately decided that she, she said that she accidentally hurt herself. Um, but that means that they also have to pay a lot more because insurance won't cover it, stuff like that. But as of now, she's not talking to her grandma, even though she did this thing for her, because um, she couldn't hurt her in that way. But she also doesn't mean she has to stay connected to them. And that's just like, what I'm trying to get at is with something so emotional and showing so many, a variety of emotions around a single event, I think it can help people understand how others in their life, like why they might have reacted a certain way, why there's differences in the same situation. And like I've touched on previously, the validity in that, but the validity in all emotions because you're just going to come from different perspectives. And again, you're hopefully all doing it for the same reasons. Like the grandma isn't asking her to lie um, to hurt her. It's to just protect the family. And for the same reasons Bohm accepts that she's trying to protect their family. Um, the only person I don't agree with, he's an insolent little bitch, is her brother. Because she, he just gets so mad at Bohm. And he's like, you're so selfish. It's like, yeah, you're not the one getting your ass beat every time because you're a boy, dumb bitch. Um, so he's the only one. I'm like, okay, kind of fuck off, man. Um, not that shit isn't hard for him, but you don't get to um, choose to just act. He's the selfish one. That's what I'm saying. Disengaging isn't doesn't absolve you. Um, but anyway, it's crazy. And I don't like. I think specifically as she is the victim, where it is like this has been done unto you. And I agree, like, to a large part, like, someone does something shitty to you, regardless of relation, like, I, I wouldn't want to, there's no excuse for that, it doesn't matter if he's an alcoholic, yeah, you can blame it, that on him, you can say, like, yeah, uh, like, you have an addiction, <laughs> but that, like, you're still responsible, and they, like, tried to get him to go to rehab, they tried to do they can, and just doesn't work out so at some point like you kind of like it's hard because you can either do what the grandma did and just uh, continuously support him understanding that it is like an illness and you can continue to support someone through that but also okay um so someone just walking right behind me somebody started walking right behind me if that wasn't said loudly enough because they were still right there I just don't like having to perpetually be quiet, you know. Um, so, <laughs> just standing on the other side of the road now. Cool. <laughs> but, what does it say? So, I won't talk about this too much, but there's like, because it's not really my story to tell in many ways. Um, but like, members of my family have struggled with alcohol addiction stuff like that and the route people in my family have a tendency to take is like they'll stick it out for a while but there's like there's a point where they're probably going to do something unforgivable and I say tend to because you don't want to like put that into someone's mind and then at that point my family different members will step back they'll stop supporting them and so a lot of people in my family have the approach of like 
you just have to cut them off. You just have to let, let them fend for themselves kind of thing. And maybe then they'll come to their senses once people aren't coddling them. And so I think with a show like this, that's a, that's a clear example of like two perspectives to take. And it's funky because in my family, like people always do like get sober. They do clean up their act. And then, like, the family does come back together. And there hasn't really been an issue of that in a long time now. At least not, like, really in my lifetime. Um, so, it is just... It's... It's rough. It's a crazy, crazy thing that both polar opposite approaches are trying to achieve the same things. And I do want to say that, like, there's no... There's no valor in, like, sticking around, uh, just as there isn't in leaving. Um, but... Jean de Perso. Oh, no, we're going in the same directions. This is so crazy. Hate it. The same person. <laughs> across the street and was behind me again and I was like are you serious I hate it I hate that why do people not just stay away you know it's not personal I just don't want to talk with you nearby um especially if I can't clear you for this conversation not that it's going well because I'm all over the place and didn't plan anything but we move um so like if if someone's, like, abusing you, then they're abusing you, like, full stop. You don't have to stick around for that. And, like, that's it, kind of, in some ways. And, like, do with that what you will. There's no right or wrong in any situation with anything in life. But it is, like, mom is a little girl. She shouldn't be made, like, especially... I think, in this case, the severity of asking someone to say they did it themselves is kind of absurd <laughs> to me. Like, it's, I, I get it. I'm like, how the, like, how fucking dare you ask her to say she hurt herself when it's, she has no say in this, like, struggle, in this recovery, in any of it. And it's one thing to ask her not to tell, because she never did in the past, but it's another to, like, make her falsely own that and that's the part where it's kind of like for some reason that extension feels like complete bullshit to me and it makes me a little fiery but yeah no there's just not really right or wrong and this is my story so I can say this but I don't I don't know if my dad was an alcoholic or is an alcoholic but I would kind of <laughs> assume so considering like any time that I did see him in my childhood um he like could like every day would have like a six pack of beer and he wouldn't necessarily like get drunk or like belligerent but he was always like as a kid and just in life I'm kind of notorious for not being able to tell if someone's under any kind of influence um so but I even as a small child I was like oh this guy's a little goofy he'd just get like particularly silly or angry and I used to go to like I said I used to go to San Diego in the summers 
And sometimes it would just be him watching me for like whatever reason. My like stepmom wouldn't be there, and the step siblings were in the house. And my mom said that I would like lock myself in the, my room, I lock myself in the bathroom, and like call her, just like scared. And I do like vaguely remember that fear sometimes, but I, like I said, I, I'm just kind of lucky that as a kid, my brain protected me from a lot of things. And I just don't remember them. And because of that, like, it doesn't really affect me. And it feels strange because on some of it's like, surely it must. But it's like, I, I literally, if I don't remember, then like, what am I, what am I going to do about it? Because as a kid, it's also that kind of framing of like, in my case, going to see my dad was like, it was fun. I was going to California. I was going home for a while. And just having a great time for the most part, just like watching movies, playing sports, going to the beach, outside, all the stuff I love, all that play that I was obsessed with, still am. It's a little more conceptual this time. And so like he was, I was like, oh, he's like a fun buddy that I get to see every once in a while. And even as a kid, that was kind of how I described him rather than my father, because he had no role of support at all in my life. So I was like, oh, like, this is a fun person. And if there's something that seems so out of character, like these moments, it was like literally only sometimes when he got drunk enough that he would be like verbally abusive and everything like that. Then, at least as far as I don't, I don't think I was ever hit, but I, it, it's, it's, it's for, the, for debate. So that's all I'll say. Um, Cause I really don't remember certain times when it got really bad. And my brain, silly. Um, anyway, so it was just like, when something seems so out of character, it can be pretty easy to isolate it from a person's behaviors generally because you just don't want to believe that that is the way they act or the way they quote unquote are, even though it is still a part of their behavior. And it's like, when it seems more minor, or it seems more infrequent, then you're like, okay, I can get through this more easily. And, you know, who knows if, like, I, I didn't really get the chance to even stay because as I've mentioned before, I just kind of stopped seeing my dad at a certain age for the most part. So I'm at, I was like 13. And then because I got, Serious with swimming is kind of the explanation I was given then, even though I knew it wasn't quite on the nose. So my, my oh, that's what I call my grandpa. Well, in the past, um, if you heard the people in my car saying that there's an old a grandma saying that she gave something to Papa, and I was like, oh, that's what I call my Papa. <laughs> um, and then I saw him at my high school graduation, and I've also, I'm transitioning this into finances, but I'll probably come back to summer strike, just so you know. Um, and then I saw him at my cousin's wedding, and then at my grandma's funeral just now. So I've seen him, like, what is that, like three, three or four times since I turned um, 13. And... But I found out, somewhat in tandem, but it's just funky, is that, like, so obviously my mom had 
most of the custody over me. Like, I lived with her the majority of the time, but my dad had, like, visiting rights and whatever, so he had, like, a condo in a suburb called Park Ridge, even though I'm from the city of Chicago. Um, and all of my schools were in Chicago, and that distance was a big gripe for my mom. Um, uh, so, <laughs> but they, they just fought about anything they could over email, <laughs> essentially. And I just got to hear about all of it. And my mom's always like, I try not to badmouth your father growing, while you were growing up so you can make your own opinion. And I was like, I can make my own opinion. You're also probably... <laughs> Also probably didn't hold back as much as you think you did, but that's fine. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I will sidebar. Um, that is something where it's like, uh, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine where it's like, if someone did something shitty to like a close friend of yours and you stay friends with them, like objectively, like fucked up. You, you're not a friend. You're like, you are not a good friend by any means. And I think it's pretty gnarly to call yourself that. Because to me, it's either like, you don't believe your friend, or you don't care. And in either case, I hope, I hope that friendship's over. I hope you leave the person that doesn't stick up for you. And yeah, but in this case, it was more like my mom got mad or the way she would frame it is that she would get mad on my behalf a lot she'd be like I can't believe your dad lives this far from your school and you have to go this far in the morning wake up this early and it's like and it was just a lot of cases of that where she would just get mad about her situation kind of projected onto mine and I was like I don't care and so it's kind of like I, I was like I'm not gonna care cool you know and so that's why to me I was like this is still my dad this stuff doesn't bother me so I'm fine with it and people can bring up how they think you should feel because that's how they would feel in your shoes but there's also the bias of like my mom and my dad had their own beef which I was not like privy to for the majority of my life um so I couldn't decide whether or not I wanted to be a part of that on my own um, it's a little jarring to be walking around with so many people. Um, so, anyway. Where was I going back to? Oh, yeah, no. So my dad would like, have visitation rights, but he, like, visited less and less as I got older. But I would still go out to San Diego every time I was supposed to, which is, like, several times a year, different amounts of time per year. Um, we would also go to Boston to see my family up there and everything every once in a while, um, or, like, once or twice a year, probably, um, but he started coming less and less, and he also just, like, wouldn't always pay child support, or if he did, this typically would not be in full amount, uh, it's not, like, anything new, but at 13, that kind of just stopped, is also the point, so he stopped visiting, he stopped paying child support, so we stopped planning for me to go see him, and, the way that it was kind of for me was also just like I genuinely just didn't really have time to go to San Diego in the summer anymore and swim for like a lesser team because I was just like too good for them at that point it sounds like snooty but it's just if you're faster than their fastest swimmers at 13 there's just kind of a point there um 
So that was just the case until for a long time, and I think there was just years where he didn't like pay anything, had very little contact with me. He genuinely texted me like a handful of times a year um, and will send me like a very strange gift for my birthday and Christmas, for which I'm still like always grateful. And I think that is, I think part of the reason this like divorce in general doesn't bother me is because like they got divorced when I was two, you know? <laughs> and so I was just like, it was kind of just the way it was to go see this person who in my head was framed as like a fun friend for the most part for like, and then the fun friend went away. But at that point I was kind of already used to like this derailing bit from finance. Um, but I was already used to like losing siblings if uh, like the fa- that, those aspects were a lot harder and I was already used to like losing family kind of thing. Um, so that's what I, I said about that. Um, but when I was like 15 to, then he started paying some child support again. I don't really know. And then when I was 18, he actually did. Like, again, like nothing compared to the thousands that he owed my mom. And she tried to take him to court when I was younger, but because uh, their divorce was filed in California where I was born, she had to fly out a lot and get an out-of-state lawyer. And it just like was really expensive and it wasn't going anywhere because it's just hard to have someone pay out-of-state fees. Um, so she just kind of gave up. So it wasn't, the point is, it wasn't, didn't cover any of the many thousands of dollars that he owed her. But she promised that because I was 18, she would just give me like half every time he paid child support or paid her at that point because I guess it's not really child support at 18. Um, so she's done that ever since. And so anytime she like sends me like some random amount of money, like I just know what it's from which is kind of a strange uh, feeling to have. And recently, with my grandma's passing, this is kind of funky because, like, I know that I had an inheritance and I, like, I don't care because my relationship to my family isn't about money, even though I guess here in this conversation that is the link I'm drawing. Um, but... Like, I don't care. But it is just, like, shady to have my dad suddenly be sending my mom thousands of dollars when he usually sends her a couple hundred, you know? And it's just, like... (laughs) I get that the man doesn't know me well enough to know this, but if he had just talked to me and just been like, hey, like, I got this inheritance and this is, like, your inheritance as well because depending, like, state by state, it has to go through a parent kind of regardless of age. Um, So, just, but the point is, like, if you just had a conversation with me about the money, then that would be, like, one thing, because I'm someone where I just, like, I wouldn't care. And I know that my job, my my job, my dad's had, like, a complicated work life because he's worked in tech since like the 90s he did like stuff for like Nokia and Qualcomm I think in the late 90s and they're still the big guys around kind of stuff 
And then he worked for like different universities and I know he worked for like the Marines doing computer stuff, not like as Marine, but he like just did computer stuff with them. And he's not allowed to talk about whatever, so I don't really know what he's ever done other than beep boop around. Um, but as he got like, as he got older and tech advanced more, it kind of just inter like overlapped with an unfortunate difference. Um, Cause even though he was like very qualified, he knew all of these things, effectively tech changed in such a way that he would have had to start a new career in his like 50s, cause my dad's pretty old. <laughs> um, which is also strange, seeing him old. I think I said that, seeing him old at the funeral, I was like, oh, I've never seen my dad with gray hair, he has black hair, like black curly hair. <laughs> it's getting, it's getting ashier. Uh, so it was, it was weird. But, yeah, no, so it's just kind of like drag. And I know he doesn't know me, but I, I would be like, yeah, just take, like, I don't need money, like, not in a shitty way, but, like, I've gotten through my whole life without whatever that is. And, like, I'd be grateful for it, but I understand that if you just, like, need it because you don't really have a job and it was kind of forced into an early retirement before he was financially prepared, um... From what we understand and so yes um, I will also quickly note this is just a little tea um, I wasn't familiar with this but <laughs> my mom so he after he ended the thing I don't really know what happened and I guess I never will and I won't ever get to know what happened to like the family that I grew up with in California uh, but he ended things with my stepmom when I was, I think probably around like 14 or 15, so not long after we stopped, I stopped seeing him. Uh, and so some part of me is probably like guessing that's not unrelated and I'm guessing something happened with, maybe he started drinking too much, who knows. Um, maybe he repeated what he did with my mom, which is to say he cheated on her and just would disappear, was never home, wouldn't do things with us, was just genuinely a shitty father. Um, this is when I was, like, a small, small baby, so, like, have no recollection of it at all. Um, which isn't to say, like, he did all things horribly, because there's always nuance. And the photos that I saw, the, like, father that I saw when I was growing up that was, like, one of my best friends was the one that would, like, we would nap on the hammock together, he would take me to my favorite beach, walk with me around in the baby Bjorn, stuff like that. And he was, like, so obsessed with home videos, which are still up on YouTube, and I love to, like, watch them and everything. And I do, like, some weird part of me is always, like, I wonder why he took... I think it was so confusing for so much of my life to see them, because I'm, like, did he, like, know he wasn't going to be involved anymore? Well, like, it, it just... Psychologically, it's a strange experience, and you just have to... I've just always wondered what was going on with him because I put like nothing past him and I don't know I think it's really just hard for my mom because in a lot of ways I don't feel related to the man um because she is a child of divorce and her whole like and the divorce for her was a reckoning <laughs> it was she she had a really really tough childhood as a result of just because of who her parents are, or were, rather. Because people do change, you know? 
um, so who they were. <laughs> and so she kind of like really promised herself that she would not get divorced, that she would have a good marriage and be able to provide a family for her kid. And that's why she tried so hard with her subsequent relationships to make them work, even when the person treated her pretty horribly. And I was like, it's okay. I, would, I was like her little therapist, and I'd be like, it's okay. But she just really wanted to make it work for me, but it's also for a younger her. And that's kind of the comeuppance of being a parent is like, it must have, it's hard to be a parent in general when you've had a difficult life because you want to do better for your kid, but then you see that your parents could have done better for you the whole time, and it must hurt to see to know that they just didn't. Um... So I get that, that that was a boundary she had a, a threshold she had to go back and forth from a lot while I was growing up. And yeah, so I think I think it's a lot harder for her because I just like every once in a while when I happen to remember my father exists, um, that, that's I'm just like oh like I wonder what uh, made him as a person like. I wonder what made this so difficult. And when I was like 12, this really developed from finance. This is just my nuclear family childhood episode. Wow. I'll rename it so no one gets confused. But I will probably still talk about finance anyway. Or my personal approaches. Um, so, what was I going to say? I got a sneeze. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but, but, my brain's coming back. I think, um, yeah, so I just, I have a feeling that he probably did the same thing to my stepfamily and probably cheated on him because a few years later, my mom found his Facebook, which is just like, it's just out there. That's a normal thing to like see. <laughs> and he apparently had another family that like was just never made known to either my mom or I because I did have some communication Nothing positive, typically about money, but there was some communication, um, some updates about me. And, you know, it was just never said anything. And it's like, and then I think she brought it up to him and he privated everything, blocked her, blocked anyone possible on all media. Um, so it's kind of unclear my dad has another family, what that means, we don't really know. And honestly, I don't want to waste my time thinking about it, but that is a thing that happened that I do forget about often, and I don't think I've ever mentioned. But that isn't like a purposeful omission, it's just like, be what it does. I don't really want to talk about it. No one's ever asked me, so it's never come up. Uh, that would be a bit pointed, I suppose. <laughs> um, anyway. What comes next? Chicken and the egg. Oh, so that's like the dad's side of things. But my mom, she, so she grew up without any money. We, obviously she's a single parent, didn't have much support from my dad, and then it became a nun. And she worked hard. She has an MBA. Um, she worked, and she's also like, what is it? She has her CPA. 
Uh, she's not an accountant, but she does like she does like all of her family's taxes. I filed as independent for taxes for the first time this year. Um, she did those. Shout out my mom. I don't know how to read financial documents for shit. <laughs> so um, that's my nepo baby moment. She can read them <laughs> and know what it means because I was like I was so scared of just like accidentally lying because I didn't know what was going on. I don't know how to tell them. I'm like. I don't really make much money. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, but she lost her job in like 2007, 2008, something like that. And she, at that time, had already started like fighting my dad with lawyers, so she didn't have much savings left. And she kind of like burned through them, just like trying to support, support us as best she could. Um, she eventually got like a kind of part-time accounting job. And then, oh God, so many people. She had a part-time accounting job and then eventually got another like bigger job and has since like only built upon that for herself and is doing like one. Like she's, she's in her like, she does finance for like tech companies lately or her last two roles, I guess. Um, so she's doing like fine. But I, it's the kind of thing where it's like, if she, even though she wasn't home much because she was a single mom trying to support us, trying to do what she could for me. So I always say, oh, they're sweet. Three sweet golden retrievers all rolling around. I love them. And they're all slightly different shades. So it's really it's beautiful. Um, but she only recently revealed to me, she was like, yeah, like I could have been... Like, she very easily would have been, like, a CFO at this point. I was like, oh, good to know. Um, and it's also been kind of strange to think about that because as an adult, I'm now thinking about, like, well, like what hopes and dreams did my mom have before me? What did she kind of have to give up to identify as my mom, to identify as a parent, which has been her, like, heart and soul for the last 22 years? Um... So, like, what did, what did she have to give up to do this? And now I'm kind of seeing what she gave up and how she also tried to find balance and stay true to herself and still pursue her goals. Um, so I'm very proud of my mom, very genuinely. But, yeah, no, the, obviously the economic crisis was hard for everyone. Um, but, yeah, it was... It was it's tough times. I kind of black out those years, honestly. I don't know what happened. Um, but I also have, like, a lot of financial traumas because there is... So when I was a little bit older, um, I, that's obviously when my eating issues started. Uh, probably, like, 11, 12. So that would be, like, 2012, 2013. Um, but I, since I was a small kid, I always packed my lunch for school. Literally since, like, first grade, I just always made my meals and everything it's just the way it was done and I just had like the same thing every day but my mom found out like she happened to be home in the normal time happened to figure something out that I would I didn't eat my yogurt one day at school a 99 cent yogurt from Trader Joe's I did not eat one day at school because I wasn't eating um but she she didn't ask me about that not that, and like, at that point, I was just mortified that she found out. Um, but because it was still my lunchbox when I came home from school, I didn't expect her to be home. 
and then she was just screaming at me and she threw literal cash into the trash bin she was like this is what you're doing do you know what we've had to go and so it's like you know some instances like that in my life just being like held forced to like what it's you know it's fun um it's rough that one is vivid and doesn't sound that dramatic but like I was, I was already feeling embarrassed that she found out that I wasn't eating the food and then she thought that she took it this other way and so I already felt like shit for this one thing because I hated myself and now I had more fuel for the fire so that was great um Woo! That's why I care so much about unpacking financial trauma too, because so much of it is tied to other aspects of life. And if you just like kind of write it off as financial trauma, you won't really unpack what else those things meant to you, because it's seldom solitary or isolated. But um, yeah, so I had my first jobs, like I said, babysitting the lot next door neighbors when I was eleven or twelve, and then. I literally worked in the suburb at 14 as a lifeguard because they you were allowed to start working a year earlier there if you had your parents' signature. <laughs> so <laughs> my mom was like, "Guess start working as soon as possible so that way you can you have your own money to do things." Because she's still like, "I'll take care of like obviously like housing." But I mean, not obviously because some people don't have that. But she'll be like, "I'll take care of housing and all of that, but anything else that's on you now." And to me, that's like, that's fair. And that's what a lot of my friends' parents did. Um, But yeah, so I started working as a lifeguard from 14 to 18. Sometimes I would work as a swim instructor too, or as like a kid's swim coach, whatever. Um, And then in college, so freshman year, my mom helped me. Well, no, freshman year was COVID, so. I was in a dorm at Northeastern. That was part of the costs, but I had a scholarship, so I didn't actually, I had almost a full ride to Northeastern. So I didn't have to pay um, for room and board. And then I came home. So then I was home when I went to New York sophomore year. Um, She helped me until I found a job with rent, even though I also had money saved up. Uh, So I found campus jobs. And I had an internship. Oh, I had also worked an internship over the COVID summer, just all online for Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, I shouldn't say company names. <laughs> well, it's on my LinkedIn. So I did work for them. Um, and it was like marketing thing. Then I found another marketing internship, which lasted a long time in New York, as well as my campus job. And then I got another campus job. So for most of college, I worked three jobs, but I am still very grateful for like the intermittent period where my mom was able to help me um, with rent for a little bit. And any time after it, like there have been times since where I'd be like struggling a bit, like if the three jobs weren't always aligned and there was like cross periods, she would also like help me cover whatever I couldn't. Um, for which I'm grateful. I say, shout out my mom, you rule, lady. Um, could not have gone through college without you, clearly. Oh, and also she, so in Illinois, there's something, I, I wanna say it's called a My529 account, but it's specifically like trying to, a lot of states in the US try and retain in-state talent. So um, this is basically a way 
to afford four years at an Illinois institution like more cheaply, I guess. Because the kind of way it works, I also don't think it exists anymore because it was like too good of a deal after like 2001. But because I had started it, they kind of like had to allow you to keep going. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, so it was just like the way it would work is you would buy like years of college for like less money and then they would kind of be held in this account um, just until college so that way it could kind of mature like any other financial system so every she would save up money and then every once in a while she would like buy a year of college for me and obviously I did not go to school in Illinois so that had to transfer out so as well as like Northeastern was almost a full ride and I got a lot of scholarships for NYU. So, and then I graduated a semester early. So all in all, things are a lot less expensive for me than for most people. And on top of that, I still, I only have like 20,000 in debt, which is still a scary number, um, but um, it's not as bad as like, I know people literally like $200,000 in debt for NYU. And some of them are communications majors. And I kind of just want, like, what are, are the people, those people, uh, there'll be people, people I met in past, I'm kind of just like, damn, I wonder what they're going to do. Um, so, you know, it's funky. And so point is, I have a lot less debt than most people because the 529 account, it doesn't transfer. It would have covered all four years if I went to, like, UIUC or I think even like U Chicago or something but I just had no interest in staying in Illinois so I didn't apply to those schools they're great schools so I just didn't apply um I don't know if it would have worked for Northwestern um I'm not I'm just not sure but goodness all good schools go um things <laughs> go mascots um but so it transfers out, but it covers a lot less because it tends to be closer to the exact financial conversions of like whatever adjusted for inflation that you just put into the account. Because uh, like I don't want to punish you for going out of state when you essentially promised you would be staying in state. Um, so not it doesn't cover no anywhere near four years, especially because those schools are also just like less than NYU. So that is how I ended up with my current amount of debt. And so my Nana also retired many years ago now. She worked, uh, I'm not gonna tell you where she worked, that's, I'm okay, unless I already have, but forget about it. Um, <laughs> it wasn't anyone really like, crazy. She's not making like the big bucks, but she's just like a very cheap lady. Cause that is my mom's mom, the one that gave her such bad trauma. And my mom was very much poor, but uh, we're, I'm not telling her story for her. Um, so, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, like, my Nana gives me, like, $100 a month. And honestly, like, maybe some people, that doesn't sound like a lot. But to me, I'm like, that literally would just always cover, like, the Wi-Fi or, like, an electric, usually both. And so I was just like, as I was just so grateful that there's like every month, literally like one less thing to worry about. Um, and then also for like Christmas or my birthday every year, my family will just like give me some money. And I'm just like, 
and my grandma, the one that passed uh, recently, she, I love her so much, but she would give me $100 in cash, sometimes more. And I was like, whoa, I feel like a baller. But she'd always write in the card, she'd be like, make sure you spend this on yourself because I know you won't. And she's right, like, with all my other family members, I just, like, put it to the, like, necessities. And in college, this is something I heard recently that kind of surprised me. I was at, like, so I, I, all I, I barely spent, like, outside of rent, I spent as little as humanly possible on, like, food. And I would occasionally switch. Oh, I also, I was a freelance writer for a bit and so I've published a few articles and I will say that whenever I did get one published I would buy myself something nice with that money and I'm grateful that I could do that I'm grateful that I didn't have to like send that somewhere but also even if you are someone who has to like I know people who've had to help support their family while they're in college while taking care of themselves um I was like, taking care of myself is hard enough. Yeah, <laughs> wow, like, that's amazing to me. Um, it's like so that you have to be in that position, but it's still like, whoa. Um, but like, yeah, save some money for yourself as much as you can. Have your own little thing. There's nothing, like, that's not, that's just all you can do. And I'm sure that your family would honestly be glad that you can, so that way it doesn't have to, like, keep going. So I'm... Take what money you can for yourself. Um, so anyway, these little articles, I'd get like $300 for each one. And <laughs> the first one, I hadn't like, spent any money on myself in a long time, um, other than my life, which I guess counts as that. So I bought myself a ring from The Great Frog, my favorite jewelry brand. Um, one of my, my favorite, sorry, hiccup, brand in general, TBH. Uh, really cool heritage jewelry. Um, big fan of the punk stuff, clearly. But it's also understandable that you can still wear it while depending on the ring. Anyway, <laughs> so I got myself a ring, and that was another just like source of income that I had. Although there was a few times where I did not have the means to just virgin myself. But anyway, I was grateful that my girl would be like, she essentially like gave me permission to spend that money on myself when I wouldn't have. And there's plenty of times where I should have. <laughs> um, but it's okay. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give people, if you're listening to this, you have permission to spend money on yourself. Um, okay, so side note, I used, I, so the first few years, I would like budget very like precisely just because I hadn't really had to keep track of things in that way, and I wasn't always the best at it. Best at it. Um, I was an INTP for a long time, so I had that P going. And maybe the budgeting made me a J, who knows? Um, but basically, I got used to that sort of uh, system, and now I can just like budget in my head pretty seamlessly, and it definitely is better to still like keep an Excel sheet. Um, and that's to me also something that just like find what works for you. There's some good like basic templates that you can just find anywhere online, but a bit like bullet journaling. I just liked having something a bit personal because only like you know what categories kind of make sense to you. And some people, <laughs> some budgeting categories, you know they're in a different tax bracket because they'll have categories you couldn't even think of. Um, and I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, and so now as I'm getting older, honestly, 
I've, so I've been looking into like savings accounts and like I briefly talked about with Delphine, like credit cards and stuff like that. Um, because honestly, like it scared me <laughs> for the longest time. Cause I, like I said, with like the financial documents, I was just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm reading. I don't want to. And it just like the idea of like credit card debt and all that stuff like freaks me out a lot. Cause I've seen like what that can do to people. <laughs> uh, so it's just like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to get near it, but now I kind of like have to, but I don't want to get into, and I think a lot of people like we, we joked about a little bit, but the ones where it's like my nine to five is this thing, my the five to nine, either AM or PM is like doing the portfolios online, whatever for themselves and like Robin Hood and stuff like that. And to me that's like having that deep of control over your finances and trying to like quote-unquote game it that severely wants me kind of like represents a misunderstanding of how the system works it's like that's really bootstrapping simply does not exist anymore that's not going to save you unfortunately um but it's also that's still as much as like my aversion was a trauma and budgeting really helped me like face a lot of my money issues um but this is another thing where it's like, this is the next step to just not being afraid of money. And I think that's part of why I kind of wanted to talk about it in this episode. So that way I feel brave enough to open the savings account. So I know everything. Maybe I shouldn't say this out loud. It's just my checking. <laughs> it's kind of getting like, because I've just been like working, staying with my mom, whatever. Um, not doing much. First, I'm grateful. Because again, I know many people whose parents are like, pay rent right now. And I'm like, I'm just glad I don't don't have that too um even though I am taking care of her so that would be a little silly but or was now we're just cohabitating but anyway I think that's part of why I kind of wanted to get this off my chest so that way I could have that there and be like that is okay like all of that trauma it's like it's form in finances it's like it's form in money for me um but that trauma is related to other things. And like, it's not really about the money, if you will, for my mom. It's about all of the stuff from her childhood. And that's why it was passed on to me. And has much to do with any other arbitrary trauma she's experienced and exhibited signs of having received. Um, and my dad's absence is just as much, it's just about his absence. It's not about the finances kind of thing. And as much as, like, if you've gone through anything at all in your life, as much as you might know, it's not about the money. <laughs> it's about, like, what the person did because of money. It's still nice to just, like, separate it so that way you don't have to go through your life scared and either be averse like I am or make it your entire life like so many people do. I kind of just want to be neutral with it and <laughs> not care about it. But unfortunately, we kind of have to. And so... Um, but with credit cards, like I said, like, there's just the idea of, like, making it work for you. So if you're not someone that likes it, if you don't like to travel, don't get a travel card. Get one that, like, gives you cash back on, like, groceries and stuff. Um, or, like, better cash back. But I like to travel, and I know that I travel United a lot. So I want to get a credit card that would give me, that is, like, connected to United, and will give me some kind of, like, cash back for, like, mileage or whatever, or, like, has mileage bonuses. And that way I can, like, fly for free. And I'm really good at making the costs slim to none 
when I actually get to a country because I'm so used to budgeting in the U.S. I'm a baller spending, like, no money. Um, <laughs> which is a pride point. And, but it is sad when people, like, don't let themselves sport. So always, like, if you can, have a little cushion. Because I do, like, let myself get some. Like, I won't let myself not experience a country. Because that kind of defeats the purpose of traveling. And I think that is something that specifically can, for people that don't have a lot of money, can feel like a barrier to entry. But it doesn't have to be. Just like, one way to make it work for you. You got this. Um, and also, side note, so when I was traveling with a friend in Korea, we were staying at this hostel, and this guy was really fucking creepy. The, like, the hostel had been fine until then, but one of our last, like, the last two nights, um, one of the nights, like, we just woke up in the middle of the night, he arrived. Sleep search is always weird, because most people aren't coming from Asia, so there's, like, a big, or at our hostel, that is. So there's, like, a big, um, like, a lot of jet lag, is what I'm trying to say. But I woke up to him, like, touching my foot, and I was like, oh, fuck no and I've stayed at plenty of hostels before and they've always been like great experiences but that last like I'm out and I didn't want to say anything even though I probably should have but I was just like freaked out and instead of like worrying about the money that would have been lost on the last night I was just like to my friend I was like girl I'm I'm booking us a hotel for the night let's go and we kind of just like ran out of there because he had also been like a little weird to me in the common room later that day so I was just like we're going so always like Friday's safety even if it costs you money it's unfortunate that that's how we have to get by in the world but you know do your thing um so yeah just trying to get ready for the next adventure um and money is gonna be a part of that because as much as i'm doing my masters which i also have scholarship for and hopefully it'll get me a better job that can help me pay off debt faster um, but, whatchamacallit, oh, and my Nana also offered to help me pay for some of it, which I very much appreciate, because, yeah, she, like I said, saving queen, so, very grateful, and it's, like, as a graduation gift, slash, like, acceptance gift, and, because my family kind of know that I'm not good at accepting things like that, so there always has to be, like, a reason <laughs> attached, um, which is unfortunate because there's that like whole Steve Irwin interview where he's like, I don't care where the money comes from. I'm going to take it all and put it towards conservation. I'm like, yeah. And that's something that always bothers me in TV shows when people won't like take a promotion for the sake of it. Because I'm like, you've been so disadvantaged and you're not going to take what like little leg up you can get. Like you won't, you're only going to owe them if you have that mentality of it. If you're just like, yeah, no, this is fine. Then like go for it. I don't know. Take a leg up when you can get it. I like, why not? Um, and this is also strange for me because a lot of like people I've met in the last couple of years, especially living in New York, um, whether it's my classmates or like just people I meet at parties or friends that I make in life, a lot of them are either like base, just a lot more well off than I am, and like having to get used. This is what I talked. I talked about this in that episode a while ago, but like coming full circle was presentation and intention of how, like, the richest people will just wear, like, flip-flops and Bermuda shorts. Um, 
but it's all about like where you are when that happens. So it's like if in New York, it can kind of blur the lines and you can get away with like this. But I'm not someone who like hides my middle class nature at all. Um, but it also doesn't mean like tattered around, but it's kind of, I don't know. And I asked some, asked some of my friends, I was like, do I seem like super middle class? And luckily, I guess not luckily, because I'm not like ashamed of it. It's just the case. And a lot of people in New York will try and make you feel ashamed of it. Also, side note, it's like a weird NYU thing. I don't mean to just reduce it to weird so that people aren't accountable. Uh, do you hear the frogs? <laughs> um, but people, a lot of people at NYU, and I think a lot of people just kind of in general, will try and shirk off how much money they have. And so many people will try to like avoid the fact that like their parents pay for everything. And the thing is, like, all you're doing is just, like, not admitting that that makes your life easier. And the other part is, like, I don't want you to have to struggle. Like, none of us want to struggle. Like, there's not a valor in struggling. Um, but you just, like, blatantly trying to, like, show... It, it can only, like, I feel like it can be harmful to be like, oh, I have all these internships and of my own volition. It's like, no your dad works at this bank and that's fine but like just admit it because otherwise you're kind of negating the harm that you're still actively doing um but you just get used to a lot of people like that and just having to like I was honestly pretty angry for like a while I guess about all of that and now I'm just like okay cool can we talk about something like whatever I don't know and now I can like engage with people that just in terms of finances never would have met in my life if I hadn't left and lived in New York like if I just lived the life where I went to an Illinois institution all four years that like that would not have happened I would not met the kind of people that I have if I hadn't taken what chances and sacrifice would I have financially um and I'm grateful for that and I hope that it makes my life easier and like, oh, but what I was saying is, like, I asked... Sometimes I was like, do I seem, like, apparently or, like, abundantly middle class? Because I was like, I don't think I have the normal hobbies of a Midwest, Midwestern middle class individual. Um, and they're like, yeah, no, you don't... You see, like, I, I guess people just don't try and place class on me because I think that is... I think I touched on this. But kind of the lucky thing about being a pretty academically driven individual is that academics, as much as they still are very much affected by, like, wealth and what universities can offer them money and the kind of funding that goes into universities, like big oil funds, NYU, stuff like that. And can you offset that if you're, of your beliefs, if you're, like, an environmental professor for NYU or something like that? Um, but it just... It's like if you're smart, if you appreciate culture, then you have a social capital. And as much as social capital, not okay, I'm not going to get into this right now. I'll probably get into it. I most definitely will with the season three fashion stuff. But social capital only really still exists um, in the Western world, in the UK specifically, in some parts of Europe. But social capital is not shit in the US. Uh, like it's all pure technical values and solely like economic capital. Um, and so it's weird to be in America as someone who, like, I do have a lot of social capital, but in a place where that's not, like, a system that we revolve around, it's a little funky. 
Um, so I think that's why a lot of people just don't know how to approach me always, as well as just being like, a little bit of a strange individual. Um, but yeah, say what you can't. There was a rule that I did try and abide by for a long time. Oh, also, I started my Roth IRA when I was 19, and I was automatically have a deposit. And literally, it's only $50 a month, which I sometimes feel like embarrassed to say, but there's been months where like that's that's it. Like that's all that I can automatically do. And I just never remember to put in more when I'm able. Um, I should actually probably do a little more this month because I can. Um, but because I started when I was 19, I have like, I have a decent amount of money in there. And hopefully whenever I get a job after my master's, then I'll be able to like set a higher income. And I just won't have to worry so much about retirement or like super really planning it as if there is an earth for that in a few years. Um, So I just forgot that I also do that. Um, What else do I got? I don't know. Probably other stuff. But again, I was an averse person, so we're lucky I'm this present. But maybe we'll come back when I'm in like a year and a half when I have a job and a credit card and savings and everything. Um, so, it's my little, my little updates. I'm gonna go watch more Summer Strike. It's dark now. The mosquitoes are eating me. Love beams. Good luck in your journeys. Don't make money your life. It's a sad way to live, even if it can help. There's also that study that says um, $70,000 is where happiness plateaus. But who knows? There could also just be a study trying to keep people in a certain place that way. The wealthy get wealthier. Okay, so I'm gonna sidebar. Sidebar. I'm just gonna start. And try and explain what's a little theory that I've had for a long time now, like a few years. So there's this YouTuber named Hatomi Mochizuki. Um, she's basically, I've watched her for a long time, but there's just something she said in a video like a year or two ago now, probably. I'm pretty bad at gauging time passing with YouTubers, um, honestly. But there's something she said where it just like, I it was you just have to let yourself know things was kind of the gist of it. And for some reason, that phrase, like, clicked in my head. And this is one of those things that I talked about before, where a lot of phrases in the spiritual community kind of get, like, thrown around, but not very seldom explained. So she she did not, like, elaborate on that phrase, but it didn't really matter because it resonated very heavily with me. So I, I, I can't comment, comment on whether it's aligned with what she was getting at which what I took away um but I'm a pretty firm believer and I think it works well with the way my brain is structured as I've explained which might again like this might just be how everyone works but I don't know this is just me commenting on my own experience at any given point but I believe that we all have like the ability to know anything and it's just a matter of like letting yourself and it's in I guess if you want to like think about it very abstractly it's kind of just how like you create your own reality like whatever you believe is the precedent and that's what you'll act upon and that's what you'll always like reinitiate time and time again and that will just be how your world is uh despite finite grasps of quote-unquote reality whatever 
um, like our greater societal structures, if, if you get real loosey-goosey with it. But in other ways, like, it could literally just be like, oh, I want to know this thing about this field of study. You can literally just go learn it. Like, it's just about, even if you have a difficult time, like, understanding a certain subject. Like, some people aren't naturally adept at math. Some people aren't naturally adept at history. It's just different strokes for different folks. But you can still let yourself learn everything. So everyone kind of has, like, the capacity to know things. And, like, that sounds very evident. But I just never thought of it or framed it in that way for myself. And so I think that's also sometimes why I'm so... I think I wonder sometimes why I'm so sure of myself when it seems as though most of my friends aren't as certain or will take more time when making a decision or second-guess things, and that's just not something I really experience. Um, So I think it's partially because it's just like as soon as I consider a situation, especially a social one, like I just tend to know how I feel because to consider it, I feel as though... Like that that kind of self-insertion, I feel like on some level it's just like a a deep awareness of self is I enter a situation I know how I am I know how the situation is I can just see an outcome so I just like know and I'm like okay cool so this is just how I feel this is what I want to do about it and slay because for the most part like as a rather hedonistic individual I don't have much it it isn't to do what I want anyway and so I just always let myself know what I want that's why I have so many like weird fun facts about little deep dives I do and I just and it's easy to remember because I attach it to threads of thinking that maybe I do think about much more often than other things and maybe that also goes I I hadn't thought about this point but it's like if you go against some you you try you let yourself know something that isn't part of your typical realm of understanding and then it's going to be a less trodden path of thought than normal. But it's still, like, there. And if you just keep working at those angles, the angles that made you even want to go there, then it becomes second nature. Practice makes perfect because you keep treading those threads. Um, but the point is that, like, the possibility of those threads is always present. So if you even choose to pursue it, then the pot, like, because in any given moment, you could do whatever you want. Like, time in a second is infinite. Present is all there is. Present is infinite. Blah, blah, blah. Just because you could do whatever. Um, And so by choosing another thread of thought in a single moment, you are choosing to pursue everything that comes with that. And even the possibility of just like re-gearing whatever you have towards that kind of thing. And even if you don't know about all the theories, all the things you haven't thought of, you're going to. So it's like, you know everything possible. It's just a matter of choosing to let yourself know. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that takes things to too wooey of a perspective. Because I've only tried to explain that once. Because in my head, I know it sounds a little silly. But it also makes a lot of sense. And I don't know. 
I decided to phrase, I was like, huh, I get it, so true. So, yeah, and obviously you still have to put in the work, but some, it's like, it's, instead of, like, there's something called a G.I. Joe fallacy, because G.I. Joe, like the, what was it, like a cartoon, a toy? I'm not, a, a cartoon, uh, ben um, <laughs> comic book, um, <laughs> I only really read comic books in French as a kid, so that's why I was, like, trying to get there. Um, I might have been a comic book, but he was just, like, knowing is half the battle, and there's something in my psychology class, and my professor was just, like, harped on this a lot. She was like, it's not half the battle. We have to do something with the information. So to me, it's more like the choice, the doing, that's half the battle. Kind of, you know what I mean? So just, like, choosing to put in the work you're already that's allowing yourself to know what comes next and it's a continual choice of like in every moment then you're open to it and I think that's why it's sometimes difficult for me to start things even if I really want to not in a mundane sense but like a field of study as I started doing a coding thing for school um and I've tried to learn coding (laughs) a little bit in the past but I've just always wanted to like really put time into it and dedicate myself to it for just like a little bit so that way I can get into that like correct frame of mind and like understand how the languages the coding languages even work um because like it is a language there's a headspace attached to any like structure of verbiage and so I just want to be able to immerse myself the same way that I did with like French growing up and everything like that um, so for those fields of study where I know that it's kind of just about, like, that initial, like, bulk of information just sets you up so well for the rest of the minutia, um, because it's just a, a way of thinking that you have to let yourself know, but I did, it is, like, a lot of work, so I think that's why I don't like to half-ass those kind of entries, and why, like, I'm sure dual, I don't know how dual, is dueling actually helpful for people? Like, maybe it's a routine reminder that you want to get into a language, but does it do anything beyond that ritual reminder? Because ritual reminder is not always the same. Ritual reminder is not the same as making those choices to knowing every day. That's just a reminder that you want to, you know? So that's why, like, routine is important for that sake, but so is actually, like, living your life. Because living your life, well, there it is, like, spending time with friends or studying, like, that's... That's that's where the life happens. That's where the knowing, the understanding. That's where the, the trees unfurl into the roots, and they go in all funny directions. They make their own forests. Um, so yeah. Woo. <laughs> um, that's my little, my little hot take. Um, another hot take is that for a very long time, until I was probably nineteen, I just didn't really feel anger like I was not an angry person and one of my exes he's a bit of and he, he just very much valued his anger and not that he was like, like he didn't have outbursts because he valued it and because he found ways to like grapple with it um because he was angry like rightfully so about some things that had happened in his life and he didn't really understand why I wasn't angry about things that happened to me um I think that is just like kind of poor difference reaction 
socialization, yada, yada, yada. But I was just like, yeah, like it just kind of always turned to sadness for me as a kid. And sometimes my family was really worried that I didn't like express anger. Um, and now I kind of get it, but that's because I have some value of self. But at the same time, I, I also think it's coming from a place of like, oh, that's the ego, like recognizing like that's me having a sense of worth, but that's not a bad thing. Like ego is, can be a useful tool and everything like that. Um, so now I do get anger a little bit, but that was just like hot take I had for a long time. And that's kind of what led me to that former thought that I explained of like a lot of emotions can be treated like hunger or thirst or some bodily function as well, where just exercise, these are just tools to understanding, to communicating and connecting. So, just while on the topic of hot takes, and I honestly think, I ha- like, I guess I haven't verbalized this before, but there's, like, some of my wooey tendencies, <laughs> like, not really feeling anger, because before, it was for other reasons, I guess, at the end of the day, that I probably presented in conversation rather poorly. But there was just, like, sometimes wooey things that I would bring up with him that he would kind of, like, he's a very rational person. And because I'm also typically rather rational, logical, like, or logical, rationally driven, whatever phrase I'm trying to get at, um, I would just kind of be like, oh, yeah, like, no, like, fair enough, you have a point. And so now I just don't talk about a lot of that stuff to a large degree. And even though for the past several years I've been like, a very spiritual person, um, it's just something that I don't, I think because it feels so close to me that I don't. Oh my gosh, Christian, you scared me. I didn't see you come in, kitten. Um, <laughs> I don't talk about it a ton, so I guess that's why there's kind of these spouts of random bursts, because I want to incorporate it more into my person, because there's something I care about. Learning how to talk about it's important, even though the grounding's a little awkward because it's just been festering in my mind sometimes in vague symbolism. <laughs> for dreams! This is the kitten of dreams. She purrs so beautifully. So loud. Like a little kitty motor. I love her. Okay. Love me. So, this is something that I don't know how to quite talk about. Just because, also, in general, with this episode, like, I'm gonna do, this is gonna be another outtakes, but, um, with, like, finances, with the spirituality stuff, and now what I'm gonna talk about is a little concerning, like, mental health stuff, and I, I know I've talked mental health, but it's a bit more exact, where it's, like, eating disorders, and that's something that people can relate to, in general, um, even, like, neurotypical people can, like, very much lend themselves to that understanding of, like, oh, like, we all feel these pressures. I I get how you could succumb to that. Um, but as, like, a, a deeply neurodivergent as, like, a someone who's gone through <laughs> very concerning mental lows, um, not even just in terms of, like, when I was young and I had bad depression with suicidal ideation. No, it's, like, no grip on it's like the lack of grip on reality um and complete like consumption of fear honestly um that will just surround me at times 
and that's a lot less, um, like, socially acceptable, I guess, to talk about, and it does make me worried that I'm, like, I'm, I'm just worried, I'm worried, but I'm just like, oh, if people understand this about me, will they treat me differently, will, um, like, if a company ever found this, it's literally, like, I, I won't even put down that I've had depression or anxiety on a work form, because that, like, to them shows ineptitude, even though I'm a deeply, like, academic, like, traditionally successful person, like, I, I fit the bill, I'm still capable, I'm still able to, like, do what other people do and exceed, uh, expectations of, of someone who doesn't have this, because, I don't know, so it's just, like, disappointing in so many levels that that's, still stigmatized um but if that like base thing that is still understood as stigmatized how does whatever is going on in my head fit the bill but I just felt like if I was talking about finance and I was like oh I think talking about taboo things can be beneficial then why not I try and do that here especially especially because I do feel as though I'm in a good place I haven't been as terrified lately um but there was an instance a few months ago where I just kind of lost it a little bit. And the thing is, I'm someone that's, like, very in control in general. Um, like, if I'm drunk, I train myself to not have my phone on me. Stuff like that, where I just, like, so I won't text people. So I won't do this, I won't do that. Like, very restrained, very... Honestly, sometimes, like, I'm, like, frozen in place. <laughs> Just because I, uh, that element of control is so, like, hardwired into me, um, that I would uh, just, just holding on. Um, but, I, I don't know how to describe, I'm just going to describe this one instance to kind of try and guide you through something. Sometimes it extends a general fear of dread for, like, an elongated period, or there's been other a few smaller instances where just, like, a couple of days where I'm just real paranoid. (laughs) Um, but it is kind of just, like, that paranoia. So, I'd been in North Carolina for for a few weeks, and so a lot of the houses here, it's, like, communities where the houses are built very similar for just an extended amount of land, I guess you could say. And I was doing the same walks every day, everything felt the same, and it was just, like, got a little David Lynch for me, like, small town scary vibes. And there was, I was going to the gym every day, and the thing is with the little gym, there's, like, blinds and stuff that you can close. I never closed them, but then I realized there are some people that would always close them, and like, surely there's a reason for that. And so I started doing that, and there was one day that I went in, and I had just gotten dark, and this couple had pretended that they hadn't just been inside and they came in and started doing other things like on the bike and it disappears within like a minute if you've ever been on one of those things and then it was gone (laughs) and I was just like okay um weird so I just kind of left as quickly as I could because they were both like in all black and I was just really freaked out so I just ran home (laughs) in the dark um and I have not been back to the gym since, and that's why I just work out at home, honestly. Um, because with 
as someone who, like, can be a bit delusional, um, as much as I don't want to, like, feed into it by avoiding things, if not going to the gym is what allows me to, like, keep going outside, then that's what I'm gonna do. So it's just kind of, like, when I talk sometimes about, um, setting boundaries, even with yourself, um, this is what I need to do for right now. Take it by. And when I go to another city, that won't be necessary anymore. So I'll remove that boundary and recognize that it helped me get through a time and a place, but it's not something I have to keep up, if that makes sense. Um, but I came back, started locking all my doors. Well, not just in the house, but like in my room. <laughs> all the windows, checking under the bed every night, like punching my mattress because I once saw the, the, a person hiding in a mattress thing. And I was like, that's fucking terrifying. So I started just checking every nook and cranny, sweeping the house, even when my mom was home. I was just consumed by this, like, fear of watching, blinds down all the way every single day. Um, and, like, some of that maybe is basic precautions, but I was just, I was just so convinced of this, like, viewership, if you will. And I was, like overwhelming fear that like the entire community had been looking at me like on these walks doing all these things and I was just like oh my like I, I was breaking um and I do understand also that it's partially just because I've I endured a lot of stress <laughs> and I had like some PTSD triggers and some other stuff like that happened early in the year and just a lot of coping a lot of grieving um so I just understand it was a lot of stress but I also had this, like, impending feeling of just general doom. <laughs> because I was like, oh, th th this time, these few months, I felt like such a limbo in a way. I didn't have my job yet. Um, and I don't think I had decided to do my master's, so I didn't even, like, have a next step planted. It felt kind of indefinite, so I'm sure this, like, latching on was just a manifestation of that. And then a few weeks later, I get into my car crash. <laughs> And I'm, I've been reading, I wanted to finish it today, but it didn't happen. Uh, the book of, oh God, Why Fish Don't Exist. And she talks about how like, however controlling, how whatever, however you want to try and take control of your life, like, or you don't want to, chaos will happen. And leaning into it or running away from it, either way, something's going to be out of your control. Like, there's, you could be as cautious of a person as you want. Something's always going to happen. And to me, the car crash felt like chaos um, coming in and doing its thing. Or just like something could go wrong in your social life, but it's something that was plausible. It's like if you get cheated on, like, yeah, that's rough. But that was plausible. Chaos is a car crash. It's some kind of crazy storm. It's like kind of just out of left field that brings worlds together that probably wouldn't have happened it's that kind of thing and since then the feeling of chaos has been a lot more present and I'm like so chaos rather than doom and fear has been more in the back of my mind and I'm kind of just always worried I'm still just even a month and a half later I'm like oh god and I still go out, I still drive to work, I still drive to go to Duke, to go on walks, whatever. Um, 
like I still do things in spite of the fear that's kind of constantly hanging over me now, this one of chaos. Um, but also there's been times, like, when I, when I first moved to New York, I was not in a great place mentally, and I was living alone, and, or not alone, I had a roommate, but I didn't really have any friends, and my roommate didn't see much of each other, she had work, whatever, whatever, and I spent days in my mind, and there was one time where I just didn't sleep for, like, three days, um, and I would lay in bed every night and try to go to sleep, but I was just, like, falling deeper and deeper, to whatever was going in my head, going on in my head. And that's why there's so many things that I've just, like, thought about to a weird degree. And so many, like, situations which I've analyzed and it's just kind of always available and people are like, well, how are you so sure? I'm like, I've thought a lot about <laughs> so much. And even in, like, silent, or even if just laying in bed, eyes closed, like, not thinking just the whole time I was trying to, because after the second day, I was like, I'm just pleading with myself to go to bed, and the next day, I walked from the bottom of Manhattan to the top for the first time, I ended up walking, like, 30 miles probably that day, just so I would have to be so exhausted after 72 hours, I was like, I just physically need to knock myself out, um, but then, to me, that wasn't, that wasn't, like, a period of, like, oh, so consumed by a, a an unknown dread, um, because some of the, some of the thoughts get really dark and really obscure, and it's just, it's rough, um, but there was no, like, latching on to even a thought of that, it was just, like, the general malaise, I was just, like, facing the feeling, just, like, laying in bed, just, <laughs> the, the air was, like, thick with <laughs> this thing, but I was kind of, I don't know if anyone knows, everyone knows what mindfulness is now, but if you've ever practiced it, it's just like watching the thoughts go by, like there are cars on the road, you're just watching the street, but it was like watching <laughs> the dread and the doom go by, because I'd been so deep into mindfulness that it was just like passing over me in bed, eyes closed, and that's like, that's just what I did for days, it was like a meditation on that feeling, uh, for lack of a, not as intentional clearly, for lack of a better way to say that, that's kind of what was going on. And this is something that's been occurring my whole life. Um, my whole life. And I think that's why I had such severe depression and anxiety as a kid. Because it's kind of like, how is a kid going to like grasp existential dread and stuff like that? But that is, even to say I can name that as what I was feeling, I would have incredibly severe panic attacks where I would just like kind of break again from reality. And I think it's partially because when you experience something so incredibly traumatic, as a kid, like I did, um, uh, that when you're forced to, like, kind of cope with what the, the, the worst that humanity has to offer at such a young age, there's such, like, always an incredible potential for negativity in any part of your life, and so for a long time, I was just trying to figure out how that could exist in the world and sometimes its mere existence would like overwhelm me and I have like seemingly random panic attacks there'd be seemingly random triggers just fixations on things and I would get through it and I would just name it anxiety depression panic attack even though I know fully well that that is connected to these like delusions that I have um on occasion 
but I'm able to rationalize it. I'm able to ground it. I'm able to do this, that, or the other thing. And also, in general, like, the spiritual element, especially when I talked about, like, oh, we all shared, like, the same ground, and we walk and exchange energy, and it's beautiful. And that's been a joy that I've, like, consciously excavated from life. And I think I have exactly used that term excavation intentionally before as well where if I could feel such a pit then that's that's just the same as any sensation and I'm just focusing on like that dark that muggy air but at any given time it's just as easy to focus on joy or radiation of the love beams and that's why I always want to send out love beams even if it's just a silly little thing a positive image is there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with just wanting to send out a positive image of wanting to send out love beams um so that is what I do because (laughs) no one needs to I don't feel a need to convey the depths of what I've sat with most of my life which is just this absurd <laughs> feeling of uh, disillusion. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> or I hope it doesn't, honestly. I hope that doesn't make sense. But I'm sure everyone has small instances of things like this, and I hope that it's not as all-consuming for most people. And I do think in the Divi episode that's a bit at what I was getting at where Sometimes I'll call it, like, an environmental dread, because sometimes that is what I place it on, where I'm like, oh, people talking about their kids, that's not going to happen, so sorry. It's just, like, probably not. Um, But I know that that's just... I mean, like, maybe that's why I was attracted to, like, environmental work in a backwards way. I hope that it's just because I love the environment, because I know so fully that that is... I'm obsessed with it. I adore nature. Um... But maybe it is just a way to, like, curtail that otherwise foreboding sense of dread that I have of trying to, like, be like, oh, this is a active space to process it or something like that. Um, so maybe subconsciously, that's why I went to something where the dread is acceptable, I guess, or why or where dread is shared, even if it's not as holistic as maybe my dread might be, you know? Oh, but then I found new depths to be beat with. <laughs> uh, just different ones, you know? Not, not necessarily deeper than the things I've sat with for two decades, but, you know. You know, I guess... Ugh. But I didn't ask for that. And so I find my light, find the joy, even if I've been forced to sit with things I never wanted to. So... Just go play with the little light beams, go in the nature, touch the leaves, have fun. That's my approach. Woo. Also, just a side note is that this particular break a little bit from reality, where I was just convinced that all the neighborhood was like watching me, blah, blah, blah. You know, the fun stuff. That lasted like a week. (laughs) It was just a week where I was fighting for my life. Because the thing is like, regardless of how true it is, or isn't like that was my reality is kind of the like with anyone where they like even if it's something just like a little more emotional maybe in your life you're like like oh 
my girl had a dream that I cheated on her again. <laughs> or, like, the dream cheated, another cheating dream. Hopefully you don't say someone that cheats on you. Um, you deserve better. I don't care how many kids are involved. You deserve better. Um, <laughs> why do I say stuff like that? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, oof. Yeah, so, the, like, that is the rea- Like, you wake up from a bad dream like that, and it's like, that's the reality for a minute. So it just, like, humor someone, comfort them. That's not, like, gonna worsen it always, if that's really where it's coming from. I think this can get a bit at odds with other things that I personally practice, because I think the difference is, for someone waking up from a dream, that's their reality. If you are actively giving someone red flags and they're like, I could yeah, I like look through your phone, I just like have this like weird feeling. And if it's actively something you're doing that if there's something that's like a novel red flag you've produced, then sure, then like humor them, then be like, Okay, here, because that will teach them that like, oh, maybe this isn't not teach them that feels coded or coded. Yeah, sure. Uh, loaded, I think was what I was getting at. Um, but if someone just has historically had people that have treated them poorly and they're just like assuming you will as well, then maybe be like, I don't really want to feed into your anxiety. I don't want this to be a thing every time you feel anxious. Like maybe we should work on the root issue. So if it's about a past thing rather than the present, and a lot of my issues, I think, is what I'm getting at, is, like, if I'm ever, like, tempted to be, like, oh, I want to, like, look at this person's phone, I want to know what they're doing, um, then I would just know that that is because that is how I've been treated in the past, and it's not because of this present person, and sometimes I will, like, if I'm in a relationship, I would talk to that person, and I would be, like, hey, this is, like, how I'm feeling, and whatever, whatever, I don't want to, like, I'm not questioning you, I'm just letting you know that this is coming up, and I know that it's not to do with you, it's because of this past feeling, and that can be kind of tricky, because sometimes, if you're someone who has historically, like, had to look out for red flags, and you kind of, then you want to trust your gut and be like, oh, this person must also be up to something because I'm feeling this way, but it's kind of about learning to separate that gut reaction from actually noticing behaviors, um, cause you don't want to ignore that gut reaction, but you don't want to feed into the past, if that also makes sense. So it's kind of weird to find that line. Um, but that was just something I wanted to add on. So yeah. Woo! <laughs> and so there's an author named Benjamin, the complete sidebar, or not complete, but I need to... Another note, and another thing. Um, there's an author named Benjamin Labatut. I'm sorry if I butchered the name. Um, but he wrote something called When We Cease to Understand the World, which I think is a beautiful novel. Um, to kind of explain it, like, all the people in it are real, and a lot of the plot is correct, so what happened to these people historically. But they get increasingly, like, they increasingly depart from reality, but it kind of just seems like, plausible but you'll kind of be like there's no way you can know this detail and then you'll realize that that's when it kind of deviates um or 
the specificity is where upon the, the artistic liberties have been taken. Um, but he talks about like, all right, I don't, I don't know if it's in the book or someone I talked to about the book said this, but there's the idea that like the most successful scientists are those that could like stare into the void for long enough. And I think something, I think that feeling of like a void or the void of time, who can stare into time specifically long enough. And I think that's kind of what the feeling is for me, that feeling that like looms or the one which I foster. Um, and I think trying, I think a neutrality is this time, this staring into time, which is something I'm comfortable with, but sometimes I'm comfortable with it by crutching on the negative, on the existential, because that's what comes naturally to me, because it's what I was given unwillingly as a child. Um, and I think that's why a lot of, like, smart people or, like, academically people to involve themselves in ac- academic mindsets um, tend to have to deal with a lot of depression, a lot of existential dread. And I just, like, I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, and... <laughs> because it's just kind of always been there for me. And I'm just like, cool, just coexist, like, live in spite of you chose that. Cool, just know you chose that. Um and a lot of the scientists Benjamin talks about like why they're given to that because they won't understand they didn't know the repercussions that their uh, research would have. He especially does a lot of interesting uh, retellings of like Jewish scientists whose um, inventions were then used against them in the Holocaust, which is a brutal thing to face. Um, but yeah, so just like I know actively choose joy and that's just as arbitrary as being existential dread but that's fine and I can do neutrality but neutrality I'm sure if I just swing this way then it'll come soon enough and I wonder if chaos is the neutral but I don't want to be waiting for chaos always you know I don't really want it I'm good keep your car crashes please (laughs) um but yeah it's rough. Every once in a while, I still get, like, bad visions. A bit Final Destination-esque. Um, every once in a while, I get them pretty regularly, if we're being honest. But I can't remember if I've talked about this, but I used to have a lot of intrusive thoughts, which I feel like are on a similar level. And I think that's part of why I just don't engage with the past red flag things, too. Because with intrusive thoughts, the best thing... You do not have to engage with them. They do not mean anything. Just don't. Don't act on them. Don't engage with them. Just change the topic. Just immediately find something in your surrounding to think about other than that. You know? Um, And then have a lesson. And if it comes back, you have the practice. And that's okay. You got it.